Amen. All righty. Well, hey, how many guys ever woke up one day and you just had that gut feeling? You know what I'm saying? You just felt like, man, this is, this is just going to be a bad day. You ever, you ever had that one? You just woke up and you just, the intuition, just something didn't feel right. Well, folks, believe it or not, uh, I think I have found what's got to be one of the worst days ever. Okay. Can you imagine waking up? Okay, and you go out in your backyard and you see these things coming after you. Watch this. This is this is bad. Gonna be able to sleep tonight. I don't know about you guys. Oh, my nemesis, chickens and Biden. But uh, but anyway, that's right. But how many guys would say that? Man, come on. Let's be honest, folks. That's probably one of the freakiest, scariest, apocalyptic things you ever saw. You know what I'm saying? Makes you want to scratch your eyeballs out. You know what I'm saying? That's a. Bleh. Can you imagine waking up and that's coming out at you? Okay. But believe it or not, folks, as crazy, freaky, scary, apocalyptic as that is, uh, believe it or not, I think I found something even worse. And it has to be this. You talk about scary. It's the day when people wake up only to discover they have been left behind at the rapture of the church. Now, why is that scary? Because the Bible is clear. They weren't ready for it. And the reason why they weren't ready for it is because day after day after day, they refused to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the Bible is very clear. They will be left behind and thrust into the seven-year tribulation where God will pour out his wrath on this planet for seven years nonstop. You don't want to be there. That's scary if that's something you're for. You wish it was just Joe Biden chicken heads coming after you, okay? It's going to be way worse than that, okay? And so in order to help these people avoid this scary, apocalyptic nightmare of being left behind at the rapture, we're going to begin a new study this morning called, Are You Ready for the Rapture? It's about as blown as you can get, right? Are you ready for the rapture? And this is where I call one of those studies where, frankly, the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, you can get all kinds of things wrong in life, right? Obviously, you could eat chicken. That's obviously wrong. Uh, you, could, you could vote for certain political parties, like somebody running around with a chicken there. Okay. Uh, you, you could even think that my jokes aren't funny. <laughs> and we know that's not true, so that would be wrong, right? Okay. But seriously, whatever you don't get eternity wrong, right? I mean, come on, this is not a game. Don't miss out on the rapture. Don't be left behind. So we're going to begin a new study on the rapture. And we're just going to tear it down, start at the very beginning, okay? And the first thing we're going to take a look at the rapture to help people make sure they're ready for it is the basis of the rapture, okay? Let's just start from scratch. The basis of the rapture. And the first thing we're going to take a look at, the basis of the rapture, is the word rapture itself, right? What does it mean? Where did it come from, right? Did we just make this up in the air? Uh, no, the word, uh, English word rapture comes from the Latin word raptura, and it's a translation of the New Testament Greek word harpazo. Now, harpazo appears 14 different times in the New Testament, and it means, here's the idea of the Greek word, to remove suddenly, a sudden snatching or catching away, to seize off, to carry off quickly. And so obviously, it's, you wonder why God the Holy Spirit inspired the usage of that word, harpazo. It becomes the perfect illustrative word to describe this event called the rapture, where God suddenly comes and quickly snatches us, catches us, carries us off away to meet Jesus in the clouds prior to his pouring out his wrath on this planet for seven years, okay? So that's where the word comes from. The second thing is, all right, where does the word rapture occur in the Bible, right? And that's common sense, at least I would hope so as an evangelical Christian. You don't just make stuff up, right? If you're going to believe in something biblically, you've got to have what? You've got to have a biblical basis for it, okay? In fact, some people would believe, uh, uh, accuse you and I who hold to the pre-trib position that the church leaves prior to the seven-year tribulation. They would actually say that uh, we're guilty of, of uh, a convenient form of escapism because we don't want to deal with any... no. The reason why I believe in the rapture is because it's in the Bible, okay? And eventually we're going to see, if we're still alive and still here, I really believe it's pre-trib, okay? It's pretty clear, okay? But uh, this is why you see the Apostle Paul giving clear instructions about the rapture, not just to the Thessalonica church, but even to the Corinthian church, okay? It's not just some once-in-a-blue-moon teaching the Scripture. It's all over the place, okay? So let's take a look at the biblical basis of the rapture. Where does that appear? Let's go to the primary text. It's not the only one, but the primary text. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, talking about the coming of the Lord, okay? And uh, if you find 2 Thessalonians, what do you do? 
hanging left. You find third Thessalonians, what do you do? Throw it away. It's not in the Bible. First Thessalonians, page 1878 in my Bible. First uh, Thessalonians, chapter 13, verse 18. All right, did we make this thing up? Is this just a convenient form of escapism because we're a bunch of wimps spiritually, blah, 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 some would say, or are we basing it out of the scripture? Okay, first text here. Here's what we got. Verse 13 says this, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, in other words, die, or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, right? We believe that. We don't sneeze at that, but keep reading. There's something else. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or died in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who what? Still alive. So that means the generation this happens, praise God, we get to escape the death thing. It's just bang, instant. And we'll see that in a bit. But we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are again, he says it again, still alive, and uh, are left, will be caught up. That's harpazo there in the Greek, where we get the English word rapture, based on the Latin word raptura, which was based on harpazo. Okay, will be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. He's not coming back to the planet yet. That doesn't happen until the second coming. And this is not the second coming. This is a separate event. It's called the rapture, right? We'll be caught up together meet the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, what? Freak each other out because this is horrible news. You're going to scream, die. Ah! No, encourage one another with these words. You may be seated if you can, okay? And again, this is just the first text. Again, uh, is that just an isolated text, a one-time? No, it's all over the scripture. Let's take a look at now. That was the Thessalonica church. Paul also mentions the rapture to the Corinthian church. And we see that here, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Listen, I tell you a what? A mystery, musterios in the Greek, the rapture. Okay, we will not all sleep, but we're gonna what? We're all going to be changed. Somebody said you should put that in the the children's nursery room, right? (laughs) And that is appropriate, but we're talking about the rapture here, okay? Uh, Why why are we going to be changed? Because in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then Jesus even talks about it, believe it or not, the rapture himself in John 14, 1 through 3. How many times you read this and you don't realize it's a rapture passage, folks? John 14, 1 through 3, do not, Jesus speaking, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to what? I'm going to come back. And what's going to happen? And I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. So when he comes back, he's talking about an event, the rapture. We're going to be with him uh, in heaven uh, after the rapture, okay? But so not once, not twice, not three different times at least we see clear, obvious teachings from the scripture about a rapture event, a sudden catching away of the church that is taken to Jesus, not his second coming, a different event, and we go be with him in heaven prior to God pouring out his wrath on this planet, okay? This is not some convenient form of escapism because we're a bunch of spiritual wimps. This is what the scripture teaches, and that's why Paul Paul says, encourage or comfort one another with these words, because this is encouraging, okay? In fact, what's interesting, when you put all three of these passages together, you see that Jesus and Paul are in total, complete agreement about this teaching called the rapture. Shocker, because God doesn't contradict himself, right? Let's take a look at that. Uh, Parallel, all right? Both of them say comforting words about the rapture. This is good news, not bad news. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be what? Don't be troubled, man. He's going to come back and get us before God's wrath takes out. Paul says the same thing. What? Encourage one another with these words. They both give the necessity of a personal faith, right? You got to trust God for this. Jesus said, trust in God, what? Trust also in me, right? Paul says, we believe or trust that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe or trust that God will what? Bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And again, hey, this is God speaking. This isn't man. You can take it to the bank. You can take him uh, at his word. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus doesn't lie. So if he says it, he means it. It's going to happen. Nobody can stop it. 
This is good. It's guaranteed. Paul says, according to the Lord's own word. Paul's not making this up. This is not escapism. It's according to the Lord's own word. This is going to happen. And again, it's a promise. And I don't know about you, but God keeps his promises. Amen to that? And that's what he says about the rapture. Jesus said, I will, not maybe not my, I will come back. I'm going to come get you. Right? And Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Okay? And gather us up. And then, of course, what's, what is it? The rapture. We're going to be removed from this earth. A quick, sudden catching away, right? And Jesus says, and to take you to be with me again in heaven with the Father. And Paul says, and we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And guess what? What's the payoff? Forever. Lord willing, if we're still alive and still here, next study is all, we're just dealing with the basis of the rapture today. Then we're going to see, okay, what happens right after the rapture? Where do we go? What do we experience? What's the future for the Christian? Oh, it's amazing, right? You don't want to miss it. We're still here. But we're what? It's forever, man. Nobody can take it away. This is when we begin to enjoy our forever inheritance, incredible future from Jesus. And that's what Jesus said, that you may be where I am, okay? And Paul says, and so we'll be with the Lord for how long? Forever. No more are we going to be under the, this wicked world system. No, it's, whew, I don't know about you, but that's something to look forward. No wonder Paul said, encourage one another with these words. But again, Jesus, Paul, they're in complete e- agreement about the scripture, about this thing called the rapture. Of course, God doesn't contradict himself. It's real. It's really going to happen. And dare I say, it's going to happen a lot sooner than I think a lot of people realize. Okay, we don't know the day and the hour, but man, is it getting close. Now, that's just the first part, the basis of the rapture. Now, let's take a look at the importance of the rapture, okay? And let's just, again, follow the, hopefully, train of logic here. Uh, But uh, to me, the next logical question is, okay, we know. We know that this isn't some convenient form of escapism, you Christians trying to say you're out of here before the seven-year tribulation comes. Uh, We know it's true. We're building it off the scripture, uh, more than one scripture, Okay, but why? Why does God tell us about this event, right? What is the importance of the rapture? Well, folks, I tell you what, when you take a look at the event, I think it makes extreme common sense, especially when you take a look at it from the non-Christian's point of view. The person who did not receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and bang, the rapture happened. You look at it from their point of view, this is very important, and you need to take it serious, right? Can you imagine waking up one morning, because this is going to happen. And the person who laughed and mocked and scoffed, and dare I say, even went to church services. And every Sunday, the gospel was given. The good news that you can be saved through Jesus Christ. He's willing to forgive you anything and everything you've ever done, no matter what you've done, and he'll save you. But you said, no. Nah. And then the rapture happened. Here's what's going to happen to those folks. They wake up one morning only to discover that their family is completely, totally gone, disappeared. A Christian family. They scramble, they look around, they run into the living room, they turn on the TV to see what in the world's going on. And all of a sudden, they spy this special worldwide global news report declaring that millions of people all over the planet are missing, and not just their family, but literally millions of people across the world all at the exact same time. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they happen to spy their loved one's Bible sitting there on the coffee table in front of the TV, and all of a sudden, it dawns on them that, oh man, their Christian family was right when they kept telling about this rapture event. How many times did they sit there week after week in church services and they laughed and they scoffed and they mocked and then all of a sudden it dawned on them, oh no, I've been left behind. And now I've been thrust into the seven-year tribulation, mankind's worst nightmare that God and my family who loved me warned me about again and again. It's too late. That's going to happen, folks. That's going to happen on a massive scale. In fact, maybe that initial news broadcast might look something like this. Watch this. Breaking news, we are getting last minute reports from all over the world of thousands of people that have just vanished. I repeat, thousands of people from all over the globe have disappeared. The total number of people who have disappeared has not yet been confirmed, but it is expected to be a lot higher than what was initially reported. According to authorities, the numbers are expected to be in the millions. Many flights have been cancelled because of security fears. According to reports, there have been plane crashes all over the world because some pilots simply disappeared mid-flight. Chaos has also spread to the roads where a great number of traffic accidents have been reported. Hospitals have not been able to cope with the number of patients coming in. 
Many parents are in complete despair as their children have also disappeared. Rumours are rife that this could be an alien attack and there are those who believe that Jesus raptured these thousands of people. Witnesses believe to have seen a bright flash followed by a huge thunderous sound and a being like a man in the clouds. Here are some images caught on CCTV cameras. The images you see now are from CCTV cameras all over the world. These images have been analysed by experts and they are genuine. CCTV footage from parks, shopping centres, parking lots, churches and traffic monitoring systems are indeed real and frightening. What has perhaps been most alarming is the report of a hospital where nurses have said in shock that all children just vanished. We are receiving images like these non-stop from all over the world. We are yet to hear from heads of state from all over the world who are in shock but have not yet released any statements. Members of various churches are saying that this is the rapture of the church. When asked why they also hadn't disappeared, many cried and regret not having taken Jesus more seriously before. We are closing this news bulletin here, but we'll return with more news as and when it happens. You can laugh and you can scoff all you want, but a news broadcast like that is going to happen. Oh, they might try to explain away as the alien thing. I can, I can give them that. Oh, and by the way, many churchgoers who were still behind, what does that tell you? Going to a church service doesn't save you any more than sitting in a bar makes you a cow. You've got to be born again. How many people do you know that are sitting there and they've never truly received Jesus Christ as Savior? Folks, that's going to happen. As I said before, you know that one scene there where the, in the, the church sanctuary and people all disappeared and there's only a handful of people left behind? Uh, it might be the reverse that the bulk of the people are still there, and it's only a few people going, based on what we're seeing in the apostasy of the church today. But you can laugh and scoff all you want. That's going to happen, folks, to our planet. Much sooner than I believe that people uh, want to believe. I mean, look at the, most of the churches today. They're not even teaching on this. And, and this, we're not making this up. It's in the Scripture. It's important to know, especially if you're not saved. And so the question is, will you be around for that kind of news broadcast? Right? It's going to happen, folks. Will you be left behind? Are you ready for the rapture? This is not a game. And God, out of love and mercy, has been telling us about this event that's going to happen for the last 2,000 years. And the Bible says if you make that mistake and you scoff all the way to the rapture and you're left behind because you didn't think you needed Jesus, you're going to be thrust into the seven-year tribulation. You're going to be a part of his wrath poured down this planet. It's mankind's worst nightmare. In fact, speaking of uh, news broadcasts, you take a look at the events of the seven-year tribulation, Last time I checked, it's kind of bad. Okay, they're still going to have news broadcasts. Maybe they're going to give updates on the, this, this will be the seven-year tribulation weather report, right, for those who are left behind. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to be a part of this. Watch this. Now, we've got some big changes here for the upcoming work week. Starting tomorrow, we're going to have a volcanic eruption right near Charlottesville, and it's going to make things rather toasty across the area. We're going to see lava spill out into central Virginia and make temperatures in Richmond at 350 degrees, Fredericksburg at 345, Charlottesville, the hot spot at 400, not as hot off towards the tidewater, a little bit more comfortable with highs near 100 degrees. The reason why we're going to have tidal waves moving in ahead of this, a global superstorm developing off towards the Atlantic Ocean. This thing is headed our way. We could see maybe about one, 200 inches of rainfall, wind gusts up to 1,000 miles an hour. Overnight, it looks calm, but going to the weekend, there'll be some slight changes. Starting Friday, the southeast will see heavy rain and wind speeds topping 700 miles per hour. That'll spot an F5 tornado, tear westward across the southeast, all the way to the west coast. Now in the west, temperatures will look to decrease to about 300 degrees below freezing. This says an ice sheet has been forming in California. It's be a good time to stock up on food as this extreme weather will compromise the food supply indefinitely. Those along the Canadian border should be on the lookout for zombies. They've moving southward out of Canada. Saturday would have been a great day for beachgoers in the east, but looks like the avian flu outbreak and the recent zombie attacks keeping everyone indoors for a while. So. Don't forget to wear your masks and only drive during the daylight hours if you're driving along the I-95 corridor. <laughs> How many guys would say that's kind of a rough weather report, right? Okay, now if you think I'm embellishing this, think like, oh, come on, Pastor William, seven-year tribulation weather report, they're going to have volcanoes exploding, massive weather problems, drug-induced population acting like a... That's actually what the Scripture says. 
No kidding aside. Why does God warn about this event so long? Why does he encourage people every day? You better get in Christ and make sure you leave with the church, the real church, the bride of Christ at the rapture, because this is not a game. Let me just give you a little breakdown. There's no embellishment with that weather report there at all. In fact, if anything, it's tame compared to what's coming. Let's just break it down a little bit. What's going to happen during the seven years? Just real quick highlights, okay, according to the Scripture. First of all, it starts off with the seal judgments. And how does it start off? It starts off with the first seal, the white horse, the global false peace brought in by the Antichrist. That's what starts at Daniel 9.27. The Antichrist makes a covenant, a peace treaty with Israel. That's what starts that final week of Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation, okay? And that's just the beginning. It doesn't last very long because the second seal is the red horse. A global war breaks out. Then the third seal, the black horse, you got a global famine breaks out. A fourth seal, a pale horse, a global death. One-fourth of mankind is killed by the sword, by famine, and by plague, and by wild beasts hunting people down and eating them. Chump, 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 chump. Okay, you don't want to be there. Okay, then the fifth seal, those that did get saved during the seven-year tribulation, not the church, okay? But guess what? Uh, Now you are going to get it big time. Basically, the picture is for those that turn to God in the seven-year tribulation, uh, you're going to be slaughtered like flies, uh, there's a global persecution, uh, and if you want to avoid that, it's called Get Saved Now, okay? Uh, then the sixth seal, man, this is, uh, this, and, and again, we're still in the first half. It's just the first half. The beginning of the Great Tribulation, just before that, all of a sudden there's a global earthquake. Then the sun turns black. The moon turns blood red. Asteroids begin to fall to the earth. The sky recedes. Mountain and islands across the whole planet are literally shaken, removed from their places. Then there's a global fear of God's wrath. They know this is God's wrath, but they still try to hide. They don't repent. It's not good for mankind. Then you get into the trumpet judgments, right? We're only one-third of the way there. The trumpet judgments, right, open by the seventh seal. There's silence in heaven for one half hour. Now there's a debate on what does that mean in the scripture. Some would actually say, this didn't come from me, some would say that means that proves why women are not in heaven. (laughs) I didn't say that, Michaela. I did not say that. I'm just repeating a theory that I disagree with, biblically. Okay. (laughs) Others would say, I don't know about you, I grew up in Kansas, in Nebraska. I'm familiar with tornadoes. You knew the tornado was about to hit when all of a sudden... It was total silence. I mean, you, not a bird chirp. You couldn't even hear the crickets. Everything shut their mouth. In what Anta- anticipation? And that just lasts for a couple of seconds. Then all of a sudden, here comes the tornado. For one half hour, the whole planet is just... That's why it's called the Great Tribulation. You thought this first half was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. Here comes the trumpet judgments. One, the first one, hail and fire. One third of the earth, the trees and all the green grass is burned up. Then the second trumpet, a huge asteroid. One third of the sea dies. One third of the ships are destroyed by that giant asteroid slamming into the sea. The third trumpet, a blazing comet comes by and it, it poisons the, the fresh water and the rivers, uh, rivers and many people die. The fourth trumpet, you have a solar smiting. One third of the sun, the moon, the stars are struck. One third of the day and night is now without light. The fifth trumpet, Satan releases a demon horde of locusts from the abusas, the abyss, and they torment people with the mark for five months. It's so bad they want to die, but God says, uh-uh, I ain't going to let you die. And it just keeps going on and on. The sixth trumpet, four angels are loose, and now another one-third of mankind is killed from that. Then the seventh uh, trumpet announces, here comes the bowl judgments. And you thought, those are bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. The first bowl, ugly, painful sores break out on those that took the mark. The second bowl, all the, all the sea, not a third of it, all the sea turns to blood, all uh, sea creatures die. The third bowl, all the rivers and fresh water uh, turn to blood. You got nothing to drink, and then God turns up the sun. The fourth bowl, the sun scorches people with fire. They curse God. They still don't get right with God. Uh, The fifth bowl, the kingdom of the Antichrist is plunged into darkness. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east to go to the battle of Armageddon at the end. And then three evil uh, uh, frog-like spirits deceive the world. That's from the mouth of Satan, the mouth of the Antichrist, the mouth of the false prophets we saw last time. They dupe people to try to take on God at the battle of Armageddon. And then the seventh bowl, that's it. God's had it. No more. We're at the end. It is done. Is the final pronounced. Then it's the greatest of all earthquakes that this planet has ever seen takes place. Jerusalem is split into three. All the cities on the whole planet completely collapse. There's a cup of wrath for Babylon, the one world mystery religion harlot. All the islands and mountains are not just shaken. They're this time gone. You can't find mountains. You can't find cities. That's how big that earthquake is. And then here comes a massive hailstorm 100 pounds each slamming into the earth. And then 
Battle of Armageddon. And guess what? God doesn't lose. The blood is as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That's four feet deep for 200 miles. And then you got the angel harvest. The angel harvest of the righteous, the remnant of Jewish people. God's not done with them. And then those Gentiles that are somehow still alive that got saved during the seven-year tribulation. Most are going to be slaughtered. Then the angels come and scoop them up and uh, prepare them to enter into the millennial kingdom. But guess what? Those that still, after all this, still refuse to get right with God and somehow, somehow survived all this, the angels are going to come and scoop you up and throw you straight into hell. That weather report was pretty tame, wasn't it? That's the importance of the rapture. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. This is not a game. Bad events going to happen. All of a sudden, people are just going to disappear. And I hope you disappear with us. He's made a way. No matter what you've done, God is willing to forgive you through Jesus. Why would you hesitate? Why wouldn't you? That's why it's called a gift. Receive the gift and be saved before it's too late. Because he loves us, he gives us a heads-up warning. Take heed to the warning. The third thing that we're going to look at today about the rapture to help people get ready is, okay, the purpose of it. So we've seen the basis of it. We've seen the importance of it. What's the basis of it? Well, when you begin to analyze the passages that deal with the rapture, certainly in 1 Thessalonians, uh, it's uh, the first thing that uh, uh, the Scripture wants us to do is to realize that this is to comfort the living, you and I, about the dead. And specifically, our dead loved ones in Christ, Christians who've gone on before us, okay? And, and you've got to put it back in the context here, right? When Paul's writing this letter to Thessal- the Thessalonians right, about the rapture, uh, in the context, Jesus had already been, you know, ascended at the right hand of the Father, and he still hadn't come back yet. And so time had passed, and people got saved, and then some of those saved people died, Right? And so the ones that were still living alive in the Thessalonica church, they were starting to wonder, well, well, they had some questions. And that's why Paul's writing about this. Well, what's going to happen to those people? I mean, are, are they going to be re- resurrected from the dead? Will we ever get to see them again? Are they going to join us in this event called the rapture? And that's why Paul said, be encouraged. You're going to see your Christian loved ones again. In fact, they're going to join you in this event called the rapture for those who are still alive. Let's break down that passage again. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Who's that? Those who already died. Christians who have already died. Or grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. Right? According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep or die. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will what? They're the ones who are going to what? Rise first. After that, we who are what? Still alive and are left will be caught up, harpazo, rapture, rapture, together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. So freak out. No, he says, encourage one another with these words. This is an encouraging. When you understand the teaching of the rapture and you're saved, this is encouraging. If you're not saved, you need to. But let's break it down. He, gives, he comforts the living about their dead Christian loved ones. What's going to happen to him? First, he says that Jesus is going to come down from heaven and he's going to bring with him the souls of those who have fallen asleep, those who've already died. Right? Second, he says those who've already died in Christ as Christians, they're the ones who are going to rise first. Okay? Their bodies are going to be raised from the grave. They're going to receive their new resurrected body first. Okay? The third thing he says that the believers who are still alive, you and I, if we're of that generation, who are alive when the rapture happens, okay, we will be caught up together, and that's when we will receive our resurrected bodies, basically hard on the heels of our Christian loved ones. Uh, who already died, which means, guess what? We're going to meet our Christian loved ones. Listen, not just in heaven. Do you understand this? We're going to meet our Christian loved ones in the rapture. Isn't that cool? Now, I, first of all, I never thought I'd be saved in, in the first place. God's definitely had mercy on me. I certainly didn't ever think uh, I'd ever be a, a pastor and call me to teach ministry. Uh, things of that nature. But one thing's in the teaching ministry, I'll tell you what, uh, is it's been wild over the years is, if you will, to use the term, heaven is stacking up. 
And this is not my first senior pastor. I pastored in California and New York and now here in Vegas. And there's a lot of parishioners. There's a lot of people that I've known over the years and pastored and shepherded and people that I've had the privilege of leading to Christ. But guess what? They've died. And, and, and it says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have the hope. But do you, do you realize it's not just getting to see? And, and how many people here in, in Sunrise are brothers and sisters in Christ who've died? I miss them. I miss a lot of them. I don't want to start calling out names, but because why didn't you call out so-and-so's name? I can't. Mr. Tozier. Remember him? Man, I miss him. But you know what? Him and his wife, Mary, big proponents of the rapture. But you know what? We're going to see Mr. Tozier again. Listen, in the rapture. He's going to be there with us in the clouds as we're shooting up to heaven. Your Christian loved ones. It's not where, listen, they get to be a part of this event. That's why Paul says, encourage one another with these words. You don't have to worry about it. They're going to join us, not just in heaven, but this incredible event, this encouraging event called the rapture. They get to take that journey with you and I. Comfort one another with these words. That's why Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be absolutely Fantastic. Okay. Now, the second reason, not just comfort the living about the dead, but it's to comfort the living about the day of the Lord. Okay. And we'll get into this more when we, Lord willing, if we're still alive and still here, get into the other positions of the rapture post trib, pre wrath, mid trib. They got an unfortunate, unbiblical understanding of what this event is the day of the Lord. But if you take a look at a cursory reading of the Bible about this event called the day of the Lord, okay, it's mentioned in both Old and New Testaments. Okay, there's a lot to say about it. But when you take a look at it and you're honest with it, biblically, it cannot and it does not and it will not involve the church period. It's impossible. It's speaking of a horrible time frame when God pours out his wrath and his judgment upon the wicked. Is that how God considers us through Christ? No. We are blameless, holy, spotless through Jesus Christ. This is an event that is going to be poured out on the wicked, not the church. The day of the Lord, by the way, it's not a literal 24-hour day. The day of the Lord is a period of time that, listen, starts at the seven-year tribulation and moves forward from there. And since, logically, biblically, the day of the Lord involves God's wrath, we, the church, can't be there. It's impossible. No, I didn't say that. God did repeatedly. Okay, are we ever going to face God's wrath? Not anymore. Praise God for Jesus. Amen. Scripture says this, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's what? Wrath through him. Right? Then not just Romans 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, which by the way is just before... 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture passage. He says this, Paul says, And we what? To wait for his son, Jesus, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who what? Rescues us from the coming wrath. And then he reiterates it again. It's not by chance in chapter 5, right after the rapture passage. So before and after, like a little sandwich there, he reminds us we're not going to be a part of God's wrath. For God did not appoint us to what? Suffer wrath, but to what? Receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And that's just a couple of the passages. But the day the Lord cannot, does not have any application from the church. Why? Because God is making it very emphatically clear. As the bride of Christ, through Jesus Christ and him alone, we are saved from, we're rescued from, we are not appointed unto God's wrath. And that's what the day of the Lord is about. So how can we be a part of it? We can't. We will not even experience, not even a nanosecond of the seven-year tribulation. And again, guess what? That's kind of encouraging. Especially when you saw what was going to happen during that time. Encourage, comfort one another with these words, okay? And then that's also why you see why Paul had to write Second Thessalonians. You know what happened? Had some false teachers, by the way, liars, come and said they had a letter from Paul, wink, wink, Right? And that uh, Christians, you're going to be a part of the day of the Lord. We're in the day of the Lord now. You're in the seven-year tribulation. And it freaked him out. So Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians and correct that lie. And that's why he says this passage now in the context. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him concerning the rapture. Right? Let's break this down. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us saying what? 
The day of the Lord has already come. So what's he saying? The seven-year tribulation has already started. You're in the seven-year tribulation of the church. What, now what's Paul say? Well, you're just going to have to buck up and deal with it and buy survival gear. No. What's he say? Don't let anyone, what's the word there? Deceive you. That's a lie. If anybody comes to you and says the church is going to be in the seven-year tribulation day of the Lord, they're deceiving you. That's a lie. I didn't say that. God did. Right? Don't let anybody deceive you in any way. For that day, what day? Not the rapture. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. When will people know who the Antichrist is? The event that starts the seven-year tribulation, Daniel 9, 27, when he does what everybody's been trying to do for decades, he makes a covenant with Israel, a false peace. That's what starts it. We're not going to be around for that, right? The seven-year tribulation does not start until that event. Okay, the man, he's doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And I love this. Chrome translation. Hello, McFly. (laughs) Right. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Hello, McFly. Don't you feel it? I love Paul's sarcasm there. I was like, come on. How many times are we going to go through this? Are you serious? Right? We've already been through this. Why are you falling for this? It's a fake. You know full well what we already went over. Paul is basically saying, we are not going to be around the day of the Lord. I already told you this in the first Thessalonians. I told you in first Thessalonians 1 and first Thessalonians 5. We are not appointed unto God's wrath. We're saved from that. I don't care if they, oh, it came from Paul. Look, it came from Paul. They're lying to you. Don't let anybody deceive you. We are not going to be there in the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation. He's very emphatic about it. We have been saved from, rescued from, not appointed unto God's wrath. The, the day of the Lord, folks, is the time of God's anger, a time of desolation, of vengeance, destruction. It's terrible. The Scriptures calls it. It's a time of gloominess and darkness, distress, trouble. It refers, listen, to the cataclysmic final judgment of God upon the wicked, rebellious world system, not the church. Not because we're any better. Only because we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, he has saved us. He's rescued us. He's not appointed us any longer unto his wrath. What he's appointed us unto is a day when we get out of here before all that comes down the planet. And what's Paul say? Therefore, encourage one another. That's very encouraging, isn't it? So he comforts the living about the dead he comforts the living about this thing called the day of the Lord, okay? Uh, but then he goes on, and he wants to remind the living about your current life on earth. Because when you understand the rapture, and that it's imminent, it does not produce laziness. It's the exact opposite, if you really understand this event, okay? It does not produce laziness, okay? The reason why you and I are still here, folks, is because God has a plan for us. Okay, and we need to get rid of any and all procrastination because today could be the last day to fulfill that plan. Well, what's that plan? Well, let's let the scripture define that for us. Okay, it's not my plan. It's God's plan. Paul says this to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? Why did he save us? To do good works. Listen, that God prepared for us in advance to do. We're not saved by our works. Of course not. But here's the cool thing. God saved you for a purpose. Isn't that fantastic? It's like icing on the cake. He know, he can save me. He could use me in spite of me. Woohoo! This keeps getting better, right? And it's actually stuff that he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, you're thinking, well, what is that work that God's prepared in advance for us to do? Well, let's let the scripture define that for us. In fact, uh, it's uh, mentioned by Jesus. It's called to share the gospel to as many as we can as we await the rapture so that they don't get left behind. It's called the great commission, not the grand suggestion. Right? Matthew 28. What did Jesus say right before he went to the right hand of the Father? His last words on earth to the disciples. Here it is. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and sit around. Therefore, go and just uh, bring in a bunch of people and crank up the numbers in a facility and call yourself awesome. Therefore, go out there and build up people's self-esteem. Therefore, go out there and write books to learn to be a better you or how to be financially scheduled. Why are we still here? You get out there, right? 
And you get out there and make disciples. What's a disciple? That's a mathetes in the Greek, disciplined learner of what? God's word. You get out there and you preach the word. And then you instruct the church, the word. You become strong, spiritually strong. That's a successful church in God's eyes. It has nothing to do with numbers. It's all about spiritual growth. It's all twisted today. But it says you get out there and you make disciples of who? Just your kind. Them four people in those four walls. No, he says where? The whole earth, folks, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what's that good work? What has God prepared us to do? Why is he telling us about the rapture, right? Why is he telling us this? So that we don't get distracted. We don't get sidetracked from the mission at hand. The mission is at hand is to get out there, to get busy, to not get worldly, but to get out there in the world and tell as many people as we can, flee from the wrath of God that is coming. There's a way of escape. His name is Jesus Christ. That's why it's called good news. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And then the Bible says, when you and I are out there being obedient to everything he commanded us, including sharing the gospel, you keep it up, then one day you're going to hit that eclipse point. You know what that eclipse point is? It's called the fullness of Gentiles. Now what's that? That's when that last non-Jewish person, i.e. Gentile, Anybody's not a Jewish person, you're considered a Gentile scripturally. When that last non-Jewish person gets saved, and then when that last non-Jewish person gets saved, we're out of here. It's all wrapped around. We await the rapture sharing the gospel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Again, I didn't say it. Paul did. Romans chapter 11, 25 through 26. I don't want you to be ignorant of this what? Mystery. There it is again, right? The rapture, okay, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Don't get a big head, right? Don't think you're better than the Jews. God's not done with the Jews. And don't forget why you're still here. You need to share the gospel to even the Jews, right? He says, Israel has experienced a hardening in full. They're never coming back. No, he says what? In part. God's not done with them. He's still got promises. He's going to fulfill for them the Abrahamic promises, okay, the Davidic promises, right? Until the number, full numbers of Gentiles has come in. And then once the full numbers of the Gentiles come in, what's going to happen? And so Israel will be saved as it is written, okay? And so what Paul's saying here is that once that last non-Jewish person gets saved, we are out of here at the mystery of the rapture. God is not done with us, but after the rapture, then guess what? His focus right now is on all the church age, you and I, the bride of Christ, getting the gospel out. But after the rapture, bang, God's eyesight goes back on Israel. Why? Because he's not done with Israel. Because that's one of the purposes of the seven-year tribulation is to wake up, to shake up, to discipline, and then grab a remnant of Israel to prepare them for the millennial kingdom because that's his promise to them. But he says, we're out of here at that fullness of Gentiles until that time when that, and only God knows who that person is. Who's that last person? And I've said this before, but do you realize, I don't know who that person is. Wouldn't it be cool if they were here in Vegas? Wouldn't it be cool that if you were that Christian, obeying everything he commanded us, and you're doing what he says every day as we're awaiting the rapture, the blessed hope, encourage one of these words, and this is how you get to go. And remember, you get to see Mr. Tozier and all the Christian loved ones. And, but just before all that happens, you're just doing your normal thing every single day because we don't know the day nor the hour. And there you are, and you're, and you're praying with somebody, and you're praying a sinner's prayer, so to speak, and you're praying, and then you, you're both heads are bowed, and you, and, you say, and you finish, and you say, and in Jesus' name, amen. Boom! Because that was the one. I'd like to leave like that. But did you know what? That's going to happen. I don't know who that is. It could happen today. It might be somebody in a foreign country. I don't know. But this is what we're supposed to do. This is why God tells us. I'm not afraid of going into the seven-year tribulation. I've been saved from God's wrath through Jesus. But there's a mission at hand. And you can't get distracted. As we wait for that, we've got to get busy out there telling as many people to flee from the wrath to come. This is not a game. In fact, uh, as we do it, there's one thing that God wants us to back it up with, right? Because you think, well, how are they going to understand that this is serious? Well, it's by how we live, not just by how we say. This is very important. Pay attention to this. This is why Peter says this, 1 Peter 1, 15. But just as he, God, who called you is holy, so what? Be holy in, you know, some stuff. At least, you know, 51%. No, what's he say for the church? Be holy in all you do. Why? Be holy because I, i.e. God, 
am holy. So why does he throw this out there? Why does he, he says, so, so in the meantime, as you wait the rapture, you get out there, do this good work that God prepared in advance for you to do, which is called sharing the gospel, the great commission, not the grand suggestion. <laughs> Until that fullness of the Gentiles comes in, woo, that eclipse point, we're out of here. Okay, and then on top of that, as you're sharing, what do you need to do with your life, not just your mouth? You need to back up sharing the gospel, listen, with a what? Holy life. We're not saved by our works. The holiness we have that enables us to go to heaven is the holiness of Jesus Christ that's imputed on our account. But he says you need to get out there as you share the gospel, living a holy life. Why? Because listen, if we as Christians don't take holiness seriously, and we might be out there sharing the gospel, but then do you think the lost is going to take it seriously? They're not stupid. Right? If they see you out there living a sinful world, well, sin's no big to you then apparently it's no big deal to me. And yet that's the crux of the gospel. Why is the wrath of God coming? Why is there even a hell? Because we have impugned the holiness of God with our sin. Sin is the issue that the lost have to come to grips with because they've impugned the holiness of God. But if we don't care about it, no big deal for them. But it should be a concern because this is why people are placed under the wrath of God. This is why, listen, they're not in danger of just going into seven years of God's wrath, i.e. hell on earth. But they're in danger of going to hell for all eternity. It's a sin issue that they have to understand. In fact, we've seen it before, but let's remind ourselves real quick, what is hell like? Why do people need to know that they need to take sin seriously? Right? By our holy lives. Let's take a look at that. Contrary to the father of lies, though, God's word describes hell as a place where God pours out his wrath upon the wicked. God's word declares, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who rendered every man according to his deeds. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. God's word speaks of a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and of raging fire which consumes the enemies of God. Severe punishment, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Will hell be a good time? Contrary to the father of lies, hell will not be a place of friendship and rock music, but of misery and darkness and isolation. The only thing you will hear from others are their cries of torment. Jesus Christ warned the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible speaks of the wicked for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Contrary to Sting's video, God's word declares that there is no rest for the wicked in hell. The book of Revelation states, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Jesus said of the day of judgment, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God's word says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. created the scripture says Jesus speaking for the devil and the demons but since mankind has rebelled like the devil and the demons and if you continue in that rebellion and you spurn God's grace I'm willing 
to do it all for you. I sent my son to rescue you from that, including seven years of hell on earth. And if you still don't want that, then to hell you will go. That's your choice. And what does not help the procedure, folks, and what doesn't help the offer is when you and I as Christians don't back it up with the holy life. Because the message, we're, if we're just as sinful, just as ungodly, just as worldly, worldly thinking, worldly minded, worldly, then guess what? They don't take sin serious. And you know why these places exist? You know why the seven-year tribulation is coming? Because of sin. And if sin isn't dealt with through Jesus Christ, praise God there's a way out. But if it's not dealt with and forgiven through Jesus, then they're headed for that. So the scripture says, listen, it is Sin that separates us from God is what sends people to hell, even hell on earth. Sin has serious consequences, and it should be taken seriously. And we don't just tell them the good news, you can escape it, but we show it by how we live. And we don't want to have anything to do with sin because we've been forgiven. We're not earning our way to heaven. That's been done. But I love him, and I want to keep his commandments. And I want to be, listen, a positive advertisement for Jesus. I want them to see with this life what's different. Why is it that you won't go into sin with the rest of us? Anybody remember those days before you got saved? Was it fantastic, wonderful? Woo-hoo! You have a lot of people say, I still, this gets me. I don't know if I'm going to step on some toes, but hey, man, high school, I wish I could go back to high school, the glory. Bleh, I hated high school. I hated those days, man. Without Christ, when I was 15 to I was 25, when I got saved, it was the worst nightmare ever. Why would you want to go back there? Why would you glamorize that? I've been saved from that. Man, praise God. And so when we're out there sharing the gospel, we back it up by the Spirit of God. It's not us. Out of love for Christ is our motivation and our love for the lost. I want to not just tell them that they can have their sin forgiven. I want them to show them that you need to take sin seriously. Do you see what the scripture is saying? This is what we're supposed to be doing every day when we get out of bed as we await the rapture. Okay? In fact, Paul puts it all together, what I just said, in one passage here. Here's what he says, Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All men, any of us, no matter what you've done, your pedigree, whatever, you can be saved from hell and hell on earth from God's wrath. Woo, that's good news. So what do you do in the meantime? It teaches us to what? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Why? So people can see that sin is serious and needs to be dealt with. And here's the good news. You can have it forgiven through Jesus. Yay! As we what? As we wait the rapture. Do you see it? It's all in one verse. While we wait the blessed hope, the rapture, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, why does God tell us? Not just to comfort us about the dead, our loved ones in Christ, we get to see them again, okay? Not just to uh, comfort us uh, about the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation, that we are not going to step in there for a nanosecond and encourage one another of these words. By the way, for those who say that we're in the seven-year tribulation, we just saw just a little litmus of that event. How, how could Paul literally say, encourage one of these words? You're going through the seal judgments, and then you're going through the trumpet judgment, and the bull judgments, the earth. Ah! Oh, I feel so much better. How about you? Isn't that fantastic? That I'm going to go three and a half years, five and a half years, or all seven years of that. Oh, yeah. Encourage one another. Thank you, brother. That was the best word I heard all day. Why would he say encourage? Why would Jesus say, don't let your hearts be troubled? If we were even in there for a nanosecond. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Right? But as we wait, we live a holy life by the Spirit of God. Every day we get the gospel out until the fullness of Gentiles, until that last person gets saved. That's why he's telling us. Okay? It's called the doctrine of imminence, folks. If you understand the true teaching of the rapture, it does not spur on laziness or worldliness. It does the exact opposite. Today could be the last day that I could share with my loved one, my neighbor, my coworker. Please flee from the wrath of God. Come on, please now. It gets rid of that, and it cleanses up your life too, doesn't it? Don't get worldly. Say no. 
to ungodliness and worldly passions and I need to be a positive advertisement for Jesus so that people can see me and say, oh, I got to do something with this sin. And we tell them how to get rid of it through Jesus. It does the exact opposite of what people accuse us of. That's this escapism. But let's put it all together. To me, sharing the gospel, okay, is simply this. Every day you get out of bed, Today could be the day of the rapture. And if you sit there and you don't do nothing, and you know what's coming, how could you call yourself a loving person, a loving Christian? Sharing the gospel while we await the rapture, as this guy says, it's the normal, logical response. We should all get this one. Let's take a look. would be the universal monetary system par excellence uh, because there'd be no escape from it. Why does God tell us the rapture? What can we do? We need to get out there and save as many as we can because that's really coming. And it's not a game. Are you ready? Are you ready as a Christian? Rapture could happen today. How's your walk with Jesus Christ? Is it holy? Are you grateful? Are you steeped in worldliness, giving a rip about sin? Are you distracted? He's going to find you doing something. 
If you're off track, get back on track today. Are you ready for the rapture? But if you're not saved, what are you waiting for? I beg you, please, there is a way out of this mess. You could be saved from, you could be rescued from, you could no longer be appointed unto God's wrath. You could be saved today. You could join us if you would just say yes to Jesus. Do that today. Make sure you're ready. Amen? Lord willing, if we're still alive and still here next week, the fourth thing we're going to take a look at in the Scripture is the coming reward. So we know the rapture is real. We know the purpose of the rapture. We know it's very important. But when it happens, where do we go? What happens after that? Do we just go to the 13th aisle of Walmart and stand there and get unlimited supplies of Tupperware? That's cool. No, it's not. It's way better than that. The future that begins for us, that Christ has won for us, begins at the rapture. And that future is the most mind-blowing, absolutely incredible thing. We don't just go to heaven, a place beyond the wildest dreams. We go to the millennial kingdom. Our greatest adventure awaits with the new heavens and the new earth. No more mourning, crying. Lord willing, if we're still alive and still here, we'll get into that next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus 
so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.